This is Access Reality. I'm Ali Kadili. Uh, we have with us today Jatan Mehta, who is a, a space writer and enthusiast from India. So Jatan, welcome. Hi, thank you. Thank you. Thank Great. you for having me here. Great. Can you just tell me about yourself, exactly what you do and how you do it? Uh, yeah, sure. So basically, I am a science writer and uh, I come from a science background, uh, in particular physics and that is when I started learning more about space. So I got fascinated by it and um, uh, I enjoyed more than just learning about space. I uh, enjoyed uh, explaining people about it and you know the discoveries and uh, all the things that we have found across the universe in our solar system, etc. So that was really, uh, you know, a very, uh, it, it's basically very rewarding to do that in certain ways. You feel good. So I primarily write articles on space exploration um, on pretty much any topic within the domain. Uh, so I cover um, uh, a, a large part of my articles are on the moon, for example. And then there are also articles on astrophysics and, you know, everything in between pretty much. So you do public speaking also for youth to talk to them about science, right? Is that right? Correct, correct. So uh, for for local popularization, I sometimes engage in, you know, going to schools and colleges and uh, public events where, you know, uh, the people want to hear a talk on uh, something specific in space exploration or space explore, about space exploration itself. Uh, so sometimes they want to learn about uh, what India is doing in the in the space exploration space and so on. So depending on the uh, need, uh, I sometimes engage in uh, popularization. And uh, in particular, I deal with uh, kids a lot of the time. So basically something like uh, school students and college students, uh, because they are usually the ones which are much more fascinated by space uh, and they get they have really good questions as well. So it's sort of uh, it feels nice. Yeah, so you said you had a background in physics. Did you study physics? Yeah, yeah. In university so, or? Yeah, yeah, so I studied physics from a university in my city, uh, which is Mumbai. Uh, so I did my master's in physics from here. And as a special subject, I studied astrophysics. All right, great. Yeah, so today we mainly wanted to talk to you about the Indian Space Program, or is it the Indian Space Research Organization? Correct, correct. So, so Indian Space Research Organization is the government organization responsible for uh, space exploration activities in India uh, as a, you know, for, for, as a formal government thing. Uh, but there are uh, quite a few uh, private space companies as well up and coming uh, in the country. Okay, but most of the programs right now are still done by the Indian Space Research Organization, is that correct? Yes, yeah. thus far, yes. How long has it been in operation, do you know? Um, I think uh, quite a bit. So I, it started about in the 1970s, uh, approximately around that time. Uh, I'm, I don't remember the exact date, but around that time. So it's been almost 50 years. So, yeah. All right. And um, what... What what have been the milestones? What what has it been mainly active in? Which area of space exploration or research? Oh, that's actually very interesting because uh, when the Indian Space Program started, uh, they had a very different uh, motto and a vision driving it than how most other countries like the U.S., for example, 
uh, started it. So the idea was uh, uh, one of the leading scientists who you know uh, uh, was uh, uh, important in uh, starting the Indian Space Research Organization, Vikram Sarabhai. His idea was to use uh, space technology to better uh, life of people in in the country. Uh, so a large part of uh, the developments that India has made in the space sector is on weather observation satellites, uh, you know, weather monitoring, uh, helping with identifying resources across the country uh, with remote sensing satellites. Then there's also a lot of satellites which help uh, fishermen do better fishing, for example, and so on. So, uh, so a lot of the space technology uh, focus of the Indian Space Research Organization, I'll just call them ISRO from now on, uh, a lot of the focus of ISRO has been in uh, making life on, uh, you know, of people in India better. Uh, but at the same time, there have been a lot of interesting uh, uh, deep space exploration developments as well, especially in the last two decades. Uh, so, for example, we, apart from building bigger and bigger rockets, uh, which India did not before for a long time, so relative to itself, it started building much larger rockets. Uh, and uh, then in terms of these deep space exploration, uh, there was Chandrayaan-1, which was their first moon orbiter. And it was uh, instrumental in discovering water on the moon. So that was a really huge discovery coming from uh, an Indian deep space, uh, you know, uh, spacecraft. So that was one thing. And then there was a Mars mission, uh, a Mars orbiter, which is still going around the planet uh, as we speak. And it's been there for uh, almost five, six years now. And uh, then we sent another uh, moon orbiter uh, just last year, uh, which is an upgraded version of the first one. And it has better scientific instruments and everything. So it is orbiting the moon as we speak as well and is trying to map it in the highest resolution uh, that we have to date. So uh, those are some things on the planetary science side, but there's also things on the astrophysics side, which is uh, there's a spacecraft called Astrosat. So it's a space telescope. Uh, India did not have a space telescope until Astrosat was launched in 2015. And, uh, but we finally did that. And the unique thing about it is that, you know, unlike many or most of the telescopes, uh, space telescopes in the world, which are, which see in one wavelength, which is, so for example, Hubble mostly sees in the optical uh, and Spitzer mostly used to see in the infrared. Uh, but Astrosat's unique capability is that it can see in multiple wavelengths. So it can see in optical, it can see in ultraviolet, and it can also see in X-rays, uh, all of them at the same time. So this sort of helps uh, in trying to see, uh, uh, you know, trying to paint a better overall picture of what, hap what is happening in uh, the stars that you're observing or the galaxy or something of the sort. So astrophysical phenomena are become richer when you uh, observe them in multiple wavelengths. So Astrosat is orbiting currently as we speak as well. It's orbiting Earth and making observations of space objects. Uh, so that is also ongoing. And then there are certain uh, future missions planned as well. Yeah, so um, do they decide these missions based on what they see the other space organizations do and they fill in the gaps of what isn't being done or do they sometimes overlap with some what other people are doing or how do they decide them so so as far as my uh, as far as i can understand uh, the it's both of both of those reasons in part 
So sometimes there are some technologies that you just have to develop, uh, uh, even if it is if it is repetitive in the sense that everyone has it. So for example, India's rockets are 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 repetitive in that sense, but then we need to have uh, access to space uh, on our own uh, uh, to fulfill our own uh, needs. So that is uh, uh, that, that that has to be there. But at the same time, uh, for a lot of planetary exploration, we do, uh, as far as I can understand, we do uh, we try to fill in the gaps. So for example, Chandrayaan one, if you see, uh, apart from the fact that uh, we needed to learn how to build a lunar orbiter. But apart from that, if you see the instrument set on Chandrayaan One and also Chandrayaan Two, uh, what they do is deliberately try to uh, identify and fill the gaps, scientific knowledge gaps that are there about the moon, and learn more about it. So, for example, there has not been a proper instrument to map the water on the moon so far, and uh, obviously there have been many many observations, but there have been no proper mapping uh, instruments. So, Chandrayaan Two has one. So that you can map the water ice and contribute in our own way, uh, whereas other missions, for example, NASA's uh, Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, it has done a lot of uh, scientific exploration of the moon, and the data set is really huge. Uh, so basically, uh, Chandrayaan-2 Orbiter tries to see where all the gaps are and then try to fill many of those gaps. So the same goes true for AstroSat, uh, because uh, in Building a space telescope itself is not new, but the kind of multi-wavelength capability that you are bringing into the table is fairly unique. So, yeah, uh, it's, so it's sort of both depending on the context. Yeah. Now, a lot of people may have not even known that India had a space program. I'm talking about the general public, you know, until recently, the last decade or so. And uh, there was in the news this... Um, uh, the failure of this Chandrayaan one mission is that correct? When did that happen, and why was that destined for the moon? Yeah, so Chandrayaan one was uh, uh, was a lunar was the first moon orbiter uh, by ISRO, and it it successfully entered orbit uh, in two thousand and eight, uh, which is also the year it was launched, and then it orbited for about a year, and that is when the problems started coming in. So I believe they had some issues managing the heat. Uh, on the spacecraft, uh, and subsequently, uh, things led to a failure of the spacecraft. Uh, however, most of its uh, uh, scientific objectives were accomplished by then. So, uh, yeah, so that was about uh, ten years ago. Okay, but the Chandrayaan two is is picking up and doing what it was supposed to do, right? Uh, mostly. So no, uh, uh, not really. So uh, since Chandrayaan one completed most of its objectives. Uh, uh, and then other spacecraft by other uh, agencies, in particular NASA's uh, LRO, which I mentioned previously, uh, there was no need to uh, complete any of the remaining objectives that had already been accomplished. So Chandrayaan-2 has a new set of uh, identified scientific objectives which it needs to, which is which it is trying to cater to, and uh, those are you know uh, fairly unique, uh, and uh, I have not really been tackled on by previous spacecraft. Okay. Um, and you mentioned that uh, they sometimes look at the gaps in knowledge uh, based on what other space agencies are doing. Um, are there any programs where they cooperate with other space agencies or not yet? Uh, 
Uh, yeah, they do actually. So it has not been as uh, it, the cooperation has not been in every deep space mission, for example. But uh, uh, Chandrayaan One was is one very nice example where, uh, uh, apart from having a few of their own Indian instruments, uh, there was a call uh, put out to scientists across the world that uh, if we are putting a moon orbiter, and if you would like to contribute instruments to it, you can. So uh, in that call, NASA contributed uh, two or three instruments, and uh, the European Space Agency also contributed one instrument, and uh, I believe more actually. And uh, uh, it was uh, uh, interestingly, it was NASA's uh, instrument in particular, uh, the M3 and MINISAT, which were responsible for finding water on the moon. So in in a, in a very true sense, it was a global collaboration. So that was a very fine example. But as for the future, uh, while Chandrayaan 2 doesn't have any foreign instruments, uh, there is a Venus orbiter that uh, ISRO is currently uh, targeting for launch in 2023. Uh, so it will orbit Venus and uh, it will try to study its both its surface and atmosphere uh, from orbit. And in that, uh, in addition to the 12 instruments that India already uh, is making for that, uh, there is a, a call for proposals to international space agencies. Uh, and um, so far, the response has been that NASA is uh, interested in putting a couple of instruments on board. So, yeah, so occasionally there is some collaboration, but not in every mission. Okay. Um, did you say NASA was interested in putting instruments aboard? Is that for the Venus mission? Yes, yes. Okay, all right. Um, and um, what other plans for the future are there other than you mentioned the Venus mission, which I, you know, I knew about anything else, any, any planned uh, missions? Yeah. So, so for example, there are, there is one mission, uh, which is to follow up Mars, the Mars orbiter mission currently there. So there's a Mars orbiter mission too coming up in the next five years or so. Uh, there will be a repeat of Chandrayaan 2's uh, landing uh, part. Uh, because, as you know, the landing had failed. Uh, so uh, it is uh, it is expected that next year, uh, sometime next year, uh, there'll be a Chandrayaan three, which will try to land on the moon, uh, along with the, along with the rover as well. It, it will also have a rover on board to explore the surface. And there's also plans for AstroSat two, which will be an upgraded AstroSat uh, space telescope, uh, and. Uh, um, Do they have timelines for these? Uh, they have approximate timelines for these, yes. So AstroSat uh, 2 is somewhere, uh, if I can remember correctly, it's somewhere around 2024. Uh, Ma the Mars Mission 2, however, will be earlier, around 2022, uh, then the Venus one, uh, and so on. So uh, at least these are planned. And there's one interesting one which I forgot, uh, which is uh, which is to be, which originally was supposed to go this year. But given the current situation, uh, I'm anticipating delays in the mission. So, uh, which is, the mission is called Aditya. Uh, it is a solar orbiter, so it will orbit the sun. Uh, it will orbit at, at the Lagrangian one point, which is in between the uh, sun and the earth. So it will do long-term observations of the sun and study it in various wavelengths and also, uh, you know, measure uh, part, uh, uh, detect particles coming from the sun's, uh, 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 the sun, the, the radiation particles that the sun emits uh, in the form of solar wind. 
it will also have instruments to detect those uh, and give us early warnings about uh, warnings about solar storms uh, that may hamper uh, communications or not in that event. So, so there's a solar orbiter planned. Uh, I believe it will go next year, given the delays because of the situation in the world. Okay. There are no plans for any manned missions. Is that correct? For the near future? Uh, no, there is. There is. So uh, until now, we were focusing on robotic missions. Uh, uh, in terms of a human mission, there's absolutely a plan uh, for that. So it's called Gaganyan. And uh, the plan is to launch a uh, uh, two astronauts on board uh, a spacecraft in 2021 December. Uh, that was the original timeline. Uh, so I, I'm not sure if they'll stick to it, uh, it given the delays, but that's the timeline that they're aiming for. So uh, that is being done mostly, uh, the, the technologies for it is mostly being developed in India with some help from the Russian space agency. So for example, the astronauts, uh, astronaut candidates are currently being trained in uh, Russia uh, as we speak and uh, 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 the other set of technologies required are being built in India. So the rocket will be Indian, for example, uh, the same which launched Chandrayaan 2 and uh, the spacecraft in which the astronauts will be uh, sitting will also be Indian. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, so it will be basically a seven day demonstration mission. So they will launch uh, orbit the Earth for seven days. Uh, and then come back, kind of like the early days of, you know, American and Russian, uh, uh, Russian sending the humans into space. Uh, so kind of like the early days uh, of the respective other space programs. So they're going to go in low Earth orbit and then come back. Yes, right? yeah. correct. Okay. correct. Yeah. They're not going to the International Space Station? Uh, no. So as of, as far as I know, um, and as far as has been reported in the media, there has been no plans for to collaborate with the other countries uh, 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 as far as the International Space Station is concerned. Yeah. Now, lately we've been hearing a lot of plans from agencies outside of NASA with space programs like the Chinese Space Agency, the European, other ones. Um, how do you think the Indian Space Research Organization compares in terms of the scope of missions and the type of missions uh, to these other organizations? So, uh, so definitely. So, given the uh, given the massive budgets that, uh, for example, NASA, uh, followed by the Chinese and followed by the uh, Russian space agency, have India does not have uh, as massive a budget for space exploration. So, that certainly reflects in the in the scope of the missions. Uh, no doubt about that. Uh, however, given that there has been uh, uh, there has been a lot of uh, progress in making missions, space missions work for an efficient uh, amount uh, put into it. So, so there have been relatively uh, cheap missions going from India, which cost a lot less uh, for the job that they do, uh, which has been uh, evident in the form of the Mars Orbiter mission or Chandrayaan, for instance. Uh, so, 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 so what they try to do- We've heard a lot about this in public articles that, you know, the cost of sending something in low Earth orbit or to the moon uh, when it's done by the Indian Space Research Organization, it costs a small fraction of what it costs NASA and other space agencies. Um, and what's the reason for it being so economical with the Indian space program? So I think it's just the way they approach it with the design and the development of the craft. So uh, I think it's just boils down to that essentially. Uh, and a lot of the uh, instruments are also produced in-house. Uh, so that sort of integration also helps. 
so that's one part. Uh, I, I mean, they are definitely cheaper, but I, I, I would not say that they are, you know, a, a lot cheaper than the other uh, space missions. Uh, but yeah, so anyway, so uh, coming back to your original question. Uh, uh, so I think overall, given the budget of the Indian space program, they do uh, fairly well, although obviously there's uh, clearly room for improvement. Uh, but in the last decade, at least, there have there has been a fantastic explosion of scope of the missions that uh, ISRO has undertaken. So, for example, if you just simply look at uh, ISRO's developments from 1970 to uh, 2000, and then you look at the development in 2000, uh, from 2000 to 2020, uh, you immediately see that ISRO has massively widened its scope from doing just earth orbit stuff to deep space stuff uh, and both planetary exploration as well as you know exploration of the cosmos and so on so definitely it has seen a very massive uh, uptick in terms of uh, the scope but uh, if you compare it to other agencies there's still a work to be done so you're saying that um, uh, the budget is less and the missions are more cost effective they cost less um, yeah. But you're saying yeah. that the scope is not as big as some other organizations? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. In yeah. terms of the number of missions or in terms of the quality of the missions? Like I know in China, they were talking about sending a man to the moon. And... Yeah, both. I think in terms of both, uh, it's also both the number. So for example, while we send uh, one Mars mission to uh, one mission to Mars, uh, NASA sends like uh, quite a half a dozen maybe. And uh, same the same with China. While China already sent uh, four uh, four moon missions in the last in the last 12, 15 years, uh, and has plans to send two more in the next two three years, uh, India has done two. So there's definitely uh, uh, a shift in quantity, but also at the same time, uh, sometimes the scope. Uh, there's also a difference in scope of the mission itself. Uh, compared to others, uh, having said that, the cost effectiveness and the and the idea that uh, if you identify you know specific goals uh, to solve like specific scientific gaps in the knowledge, then it becomes a really really high quality mission. So, uh, for example, my 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 favorite instance of that is Chandrayaan two, where uh, the goals are very specific uh, and they they identify they 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 are trying to solve. Uh, major gaps in the knowledge, which will uh, eventually help even the uh, future uh, landings on the moon, uh, be it robotic or human. So, like the water ice example is the best one. Uh, so, Chandrayaan is trying to the Chandrayaan two orbiter is trying to map the water ice on the moon. Uh, so, uh, for example, it's it has a very high resolution mapper, so it can tell you, you know, not just uh, how the ice is distributed on the moons. Uh, surface on their poles, but also tell you how deep is the ice uh, existing. So that sort of information helps uh, uh, plan future lunar bases. Uh, so yeah, so that's a really good thing. Thank you. Um, as, as an independent science and space observer in India, what is your personal evaluation of the Indian space program? Like the positives, negatives, and where you think it should, where it's fell short, where it's doing good, and where it should go in the future? So, okay, um, okay. So I would say it, it's doing really good in terms of the uh, expanding 
scope of the missions with time. So the direction that they have taken is definitely, uh, definitely a great thing uh, in the last 10, 20 years. And I, uh, I would love to see more of it as they have been planning anyway. Uh, in terms of improvements, uh, uh, okay, uh, before that, in terms of uh, uh, major problems, there's one problem that I have with the organization is uh, there's uh, public, the public outreach is not really great. Uh, so we, we know, for example, NASA has an amazing outreach program uh, for all of its space missions. Uh, and even European Space Agency has a really good outreach program. Uh, it is something that India lacks, uh, I think. And I don't think ISRO does, uh, is innovative enough in, the, in that particular front. And I think it can benefit from uh, the, the you know, thousands of space enthusiasts that are there in India. Uh, and collaborating with them in some way to, you know, reach wider audiences. So, for example, NASA has this thing called NASA Social, where people can apply. You know, people like you and me can apply uh, for covering NASA space missions uh, via their social media channels. So, something like that, I think India can really benefit from. And if ISRO collaborates in some such way, uh, so that's one thing. So, there's also the other issue with ISRO is that it doesn't really speak up more transparently when things go wrong. So when things are successful, it is, uh, it obviously uh, celebrates them and as it should. But uh, for example, if like we saw when Chandrayaan 2 lander failed uh, to land on the moon, uh, there was absolute silence for not just the coming days, but for months. And uh, it is, and that's something that has been a trait of the, uh, agency for a long time now. So I think that also needs improvement. Uh, in terms of what I would do better in uh, on top of the already existing program is uh, I would like to see personally, I would like to see more uh, collaborations uh, with uh, outside agencies. So for example, the uh, the human space flight program Gaganyan, which we talked about briefly, uh, is a great idea. Uh, sending Indian astronauts to space and everything. It's a great idea. However, um, as you also pointed out, I don't see why uh, it was necessary to do uh, to do it in a complete silo and not, you know, collaborate with the international folks on the International Space Station. So, and that's just one example again. But you know, for example, Chandrayaan two could also have benefited from some uh, uh, foreign collaboration, just like Chandrayaan one did. So, and so could have the Mars Orbiter mission and Astrosat. So I think more collaboration is what I would uh, like to see from ISRO as well. Um, is there, um, what level of public support do you think there is among average Indians uh, for the space program? Um, I know um, you mentioned that there's a problem of awareness partially, but um, overall, would you say the public is very supportive of it or not? Um, so, Uh, so I think there's two parts to it. One is that uh, living in a city, uh, I, I I only really know the sample set that I you know I experience in the city. Uh, I'm not really sure as to how the Indian space program is perceived in the villages, for example, which forms majority of India's population. So I can't speak for that. Uh, but as far as I can tell, in the cities and in the more developed areas, uh, the response has been remarkably good. Uh, and, you know, so what I mean by that is 
a lot more people are becoming aware of India space activities than they were previously. In fact, growing up, I mean, uh, when I was in school to, to now, uh, fast forwarding 15 years, I have seen, uh, uh, my, I have myself seen people in my locality uh, knowing, being more aware about India's uh, space missions, in particular the planetary exploration ones than they were before. So there's certainly a growth in uh, people becoming aware, uh, but I think there's still a long way to go because uh, at the same, while I said what I said now, at the same time, I have also come across a lot of people, uh, including people that I know personally, uh, who think that, who are either aware of the program, but think that uh, the program is a waste of money, uh, given India's developing state. Uh, and at the same time, don't understand, you know, all the things that ISRO has been building for, as we discussed before, uh, the, the uh, uh, all the things that ISRO builds for development of the nation itself. Uh, so if you look at ISRO's budget, for example, uh, I believe, I, I don't have the exact numbers, but from what I remember, uh, about uh, majority, uh, like 70, 80% of the budget, at least, if not more, uh, goes for development of the nation itself uh, via Earth observation satellites. Uh, and the rest, 10-20% uh, is what goes to uh, planetary exploration and so on. So it, it really, you know, ISRO is a program which is unique in the sense that uh, it really caters to uh, national development uh, first and foremost. And not a lot of people are aware of that. So I think uh, more awareness is definitely required in uh, in, in that front and not just on the planetary exploration front. So you're saying that the majority of it is developing needs that the country needs otherwise for other things? Correct, yes. It's just using space as a vehicle to kind of push that development. Yes, yes. One, one great example of that is, you know, uh, recently, uh, some a few years back, there was a flood in the country and the weather satellites were used to form the images from the weather satellites were used to form mitigation strategies and so on. So they were really, uh, that was really helpful, but that's just for the disaster management part. But there's equally, uh, they are being equally used for the development part. Okay, do you know um, kind of what the budget is? If not the exact number, what kind of percentage are we talking about from the GDP? Uh, no, um, I don't really remember. Uh, but it's 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 a very small fraction. It's a, it's not even half a percent. It's certainly less than that. I don't remember the number, but it's certainly less than you know half a percent. Okay, and tell me about the private companies that are coming up in India because the private companies internationally are starting to take on a bigger role, uh, and they might actually lead the way in the near future um, in terms of uh, Mars and Moon explorations. So uh, I. Uh, so I'll start with myself. Uh, I was part of a private space company in India called Team Indus. Uh, they are trying to build a moon explore. Uh, they are trying to build a spacecraft to land on the moon, uh, very similar to Chandrayaan two. Uh, so I was there for about two years. So that's one private space company uh, that's been there for quite quite some time. Uh, uh, the uh, there are other companies which are mostly focused on Earth observation and Earth's LEO satellites mostly. Uh, so uh, off the top of my head, uh, there's Druva space, there's Pixel space, uh, which is trying to pioneer imaging. 
uh, on satellites. And then there's uh, Exceed Space, which put up India's first private space satellite up in orbit uh, last year. Uh, and uh, there's Kava Space, uh, which uh, also plans to put up a satellite constellation and so on. Uh, and then there's a couple of, uh, I think there's, uh, there's also an, a unique uh, space company called Agnikul, which is uh, trying to not build satellites, but is trying to build rockets. So just like you have, you know, the uh, New Zealand-based rocket lab trying to build uh, electrons, uh, which is small launch vehicles. Uh, uh, Agnikul is also trying to build small launch vehicles, uh, but they have a different way of doing it. They are trying to do an airborne launch instead of a ground launch. Uh, but uh, uh, but despite that, so all of these companies are, uh, at least most of them are at a stage where they are developing the tech right now. So uh, uh, you will see more activity in the next five years than you will see now uh, as they mature that they can actually come to, you know, um, doing the missions uh, uh, with the exception of one or two. And how do they make money, these private companies? Is it by the government paying them to take things to space or is that mainly how they do it? Um, so I'm, I'm not aware actually, but uh, from what I can tell is uh, it's mostly investor money right now because there's no, uh, since most of them don't have their missions up and running or their rockets up and running right now, uh, they don't really have a way to make profit uh, at the moment. Uh, but currently they are, since they are building the tech primarily, so they are being funded by investors. Uh, that's what I know. And, and some of them may have contracts with, with some agencies, but I'm not really aware of the details. Um, and from your uh, own personal experience from public speaking and writing, uh, what do you feel uh, is, are the topics that are most interesting to the general public on space? Uh, okay. Um, oh, that's, that's a difficult one. Um, I'm not sure. So, uh, uh, like do you okay, do you when so, when you, when, you, when you go to speak somewhere, let's say at a school, do they do they do they tell you kind of what topics to talk about, or do you pick the topics? Do you have a sense uh, of what it's, people it's want a to mix hear? Of, it's a it's a mix of both, but in general, I think whenever you talk about planetary missions, uh, where you have an actual tangible spacecraft that goes to destinations and returns images that people can connect to, uh, those do very well. Uh, so if you, for example, take images from, of Mars, from any of the Mars missions or, or the moon also for that matter, uh, and, and uh, Cassini's images of Saturn, then that really blows people's minds. Uh, and also, you know, just showing them the pictures of rocket launches uh, also uh, really attracts them. But at the same time, there's a distinct group of people which are more interested in astronomy and astrophysics. So they are more interested in the large scale stuff. So that is when, you know, uh, when you talk about uh, some of the discoveries by Hubble Space Telescope or even in India, when I talk about some of the discoveries by AstroSat, uh, uh, that sort of uh, connects with the public well. Uh, but uh, since I've been public in India, uh, definitely without a doubt, when I speak on achievements of the Indian space program, uh, it connects uh, very easily uh, because they are interested to know what their government is doing. All right. When it comes to space, um, usually in the West, there are large minorities of people that are come up with various conspiracy theories or ideas 
um, like the f fake moon landing, flat Earth, a lot of other things. Uh, is that uh, prevalent in India? Is that present there? Are there different versions of it? Or from my experience, uh, yeah, it is somewhat prevalent. I mean, there's a lot. Uh, there, there's certainly many people who don't understand the intricacies of you know, space missions and, you know, uh, they might come across uh, some such, uh, uh, you know, ex uh, some such hypotheses of why uh, we didn't land on the moon or something of the sort. So they don't really have enough information to be able to tell uh, facts from, you know, false uh, uh, dis disclaimers, uh, false claims. Uh, so, uh, so it is certainly there uh, as far as I've noticed and it's not always uh, easy to try to understand, uh, to make them understand uh, that, you know, we in fact have landed on the moon or uh, that is, there have been no uh, real signs of UFO sightings yet uh, or something of the sort. And as far as variations are concerned, uh, I don't think there are any uh, large variations from what is prevalent outside. Okay, and there are no like specific groups centered around these ideas in India specifically? Do they just join the international groups, let's say on Facebook and other places? Oh, so, okay, there are, I mean, uh, okay, at the risk of um, getting uh, some messages from my friends, but uh, there are uh, there are some uh, groups in India uh, which are more interested in what the ancient Indian civilization and ancient Indian culture found out about space and so on. So that is one source of uh, uh, of interest for uh, the large Indian public, and so there are certainly large groups. Is that is that, is that at odds with uh, with current science? Yeah, some of it is definitely. Yeah. yeah. Can you give me so, examples? Yeah, actually, for, so for example, there are uh, there are Hindu mythologies which talk about uh, you know how the ancient Indian gods when they existed supposedly they explored uh, planets uh, in the solar system and that is how we got to know uh, uh, that was that was our primary knowledge source for understanding the movements of the heavenly bodies and so on and they used that to justify a lot of the other sciences uh, uh, so-called sciences in their scriptures uh, and so on and so forth but there's also mentions of flat earth in uh, Indian mythology for instance uh, uh, and it's not really any different from the flat earth hypotheses that others have, but there have been mentions of it. So, yeah, uh, there are certainly mentions of it and uh, there are some variations in the story depending on the, you know, uh, which God is exploring the cosmos or something of the sort. But yeah, so there is basically there are people interested in space uh, from that angle as well. Uh, but I think with time that is fading and it's not really catching any, uh, you know, momentum. So that seems to be, from what you're saying, connected to uh, mythology, ancient knowledge, scriptures, religion. Um, yes. Are the people yes. interested in that, are they against, you know, current space exploration? Or are they, like, where does the conspiracy part come in? Um, uh, okay, so they're not, uh, mo most of them are not against current exploration. However, there, there are some, uh, some part of the conspiracy part comes where you know, some of them, uh, for example, claim that uh, they already know about life on other worlds, uh, which is to say their interpretation of uh, how, when we say in science that, you know, exoplanets could have life on them. But 
these groups typically seem to claim that uh, you know it's already a known thing in our scriptures to say that uh, other worlds have life and earth is just one of those worlds and uh, they sometimes they also connect to uh, the start of the universe to big bang uh, so they say that uh, one part of indian mythology uh, says that time started uh, some uh, 15 billion odd years ago and that is very similar to what the big bang says so that's what they claim that you know uh, this a lot of this modern science is already been done uh, with uh, uh, done by uh, is already in the ancient indian scriptures and you're not looking hard enough is what they claim but often the similarities are you know very superficial and they don't you know once you look into the details there's nothing really uh, you know significant about it it's just that uh from what i can tell it's just that you know their interpretation is only trying to bias them uh to you know it's basically a bias uh, from what i can tell uh yeah so do they tend to be uh they're not necessarily then against you know modern space exploration do they tend to be actually more interested in it then does it have uh, okay it's it's confusing because in some sense they are uh, against it when there uh, when when modern science for example uh confronts their religious facts so for example evolution is something that they are many people are against in india uh because uh ancient scriptures uh have no mentions of evolution in any way whatsoever in any interpretation whatsoever uh as far as i know and so therefore they are against evolution for instance and they are against uh, a spherical earth for instance but in other cases where there is a good uh, you know there seems to be harmony like the big bang uh, at least superficially speaking uh, they are for it so it really is a matter of being biased to their mythologies more than anything else uh, but at the same time there are some people that i know who are interested in religious scriptures but they sort of isolate that part from modern space exploration so to them there is no common link between the two and they support both happily so there's also a group like that so it's it really all kinds of people great so not interesting note i think we'll end thank you very much thank you for your time okay okay thank you so much uh